0: On My Better Half, host Vanessa Finney explores the many ways we can thrive in later life. Today, she discusses aspects of physical and mental well-being as we age with geriatrician Dr. Roseanne Leipzig, author of the book Honest Aging, an insider's guide to the second half of life. I'm Vanessa Finney, and this is My Better Half on the Jefferson Exchange. My guest today has been working for decades to transform the way we approach aging, individually and as a society. She's Vice Chair Emerita of the Brookdale Department of Geriatrics and Palliative Medicine at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City, where she's also a tenured professor. She's the editor-in-chief of the newsletter Focus on Healthy Aging, and she's here to talk about her new book, Honest Aging, an Insider's Guide to the Second Half of Life. Hi, Dr. Leipzig. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Vanessa. It's great to be
0: here. So just as an overview for our listeners, your book struck me as having sort of a dual purpose. So one, to point out some of the rewards, thankfully, of getting older, and two, the challenges. But beyond that, you sort of coach readers on how to be creative and resilient and proactive as they face those challenges, so they can have as much well-being and meaning in later life as possible. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Great. The
1: idea There are changes that are going to happen, okay? And figuring out ways to adapt to them so that you can have that enjoyable, engaging, meaningful life is really what it's all about.
0: Yes. So let's start with some of the rewards. Um, <laughs> can you explain the paradox of positive aging?
1: So one of the things that happens as we age is that we have a lot of losses. We lose people, we lose positions, we lose um, family, friends, houses, things of that nature. And yet, older adults are better adjusted emotionally in many ways than young people. And part of that is probably that older people have had a lot more practice in developing better ways to handle emotional situations. I'm not saying that old people don't get irritable. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that they don't have road rage. But a lot of time, what happens is the upset is less often, it's less intense, and it doesn't last as long. And that's probably because we figured out some coping mechanisms in all these years that we've had. we face faced different problems and have come up with ways to to deal with them, I think it's also partly because you realize it may not just be worth. It. You know, you don't have all the time in the world left, so concentrate your time and energy on what matters and what's important
0: to you. So, sort of philosoph- philosophical or psychological approaches, some evolved coping mechanisms. Are there biological bases for that too? That's a good question, and I don't think I have a good answer for you on that. That's okay. There, it just occurred to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there probably
1: are, but I'm not sure we're aware of what they are at this point
0: in time. Sure. Okay. You do write about um, that ability to take things more in stride and have a greater perspective that naturally comes with maturing. And despite that, You know, we are, as you said, we're always evolving out of these identities. One by one, we might be widowed, divorced, our kids leave. Um, We might be an athlete and we start to lose some mobility. And that can all be a little bit disorienting. You know, we have to find a, a new place in the world. I think the tendency when we face those losses is that we can see it as the glass half empty. But you have some tips on envisioning it as a glass half full. And you say, full of as yet unknown possibilities. So I wonder if, if you can expand on that.
1: I, I think the first thing we don't get is how lucky we are. There's hmm. never been a time where so many people have had 20 to 40 years, after, as you say, after the kids are gone, the job is done, to do to reset yourself, to think about what it is you want to do for the rest of your life. Do, the, the road not traveled. <laughs> do you want to start doing some of those things? Um, you want to give back, volunteer, learn a new craft. There's so many things that you can do. And I think we don't appreciate that we have that. And and I think for many of us, the biggest problem is that we don't think about that until we get to this point. And then we're kind of at a loss.
0: Hmm. What
1: am I going to do with all this time? You know, I used to have to get up, make the meals to work, what do I do? And so I think just as we spend a lot of time thinking about our financial security in retirement, we need to think about what we're going to do, what's going to make life worth living for us.
0: That's interesting, because even though we all know it's coming, as you say, we might not have actually sat down and planned, like, what will my day actually look like? And if you're focusing on the loss, it could be disorienting or or even disheartening, but you're encouraging us to see it as wow, my future is wide open, and to start thinking about it even years ahead of time, so it doesn't set you aside, set you back as much. Absolutely, in fact, it's something to look forward to. So, on that note, something you said um, in the book. So we've all we've always heard about uh, fighting against ageism, you know, say in the workplace. But something that you talked about kind of uh, impressed me as an internal ageism. And that's because you coach your patients um, to not have the negative stereotypes of middle age and old age that they might even hold themselves because they can actually become self-fulfilling prophecies and make them feel less content. It could even affect their physical health. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, our attitudes toward aging don't form when we've become old, okay? We, they, they're formed from the time you're a kid. Um, and it's really clear that the attitudes we carry with us into our own aging influence what we're able to do, even what we're willing to try to do. You know, So older adults with negative perceptions of aging will perform worse on memory tests, on standardized hearing tests, okay? Mm-hmm. Those with positive perceptions of aging Live about seven and a half years longer and maintain more independence, including the ability to do heavy work, climb stairs, than those with negative perceptions of aging. Wow. So I think it's really, you're right, we are prejudiced against our future selves because the vast majority of us will grow to be old and will be in pretty good shape, in truth. So we need to recognize that and to recognize. If we have these perceptions, they're not immutable. You can expose yourself to older people who are vital and active. You know, everybody talked about Betty White. Now they talk about Jane Fonda. You know, (laughs) there are a lot of people who are out there role modeling for us how we can live our lives. That can be each one of us.
0: You're listening to My Better Half on the Jefferson Exchange. I'm Vanessa Finney. My guest is Dr. Roseanne Leipzig, whose book Honest Aging describes what to expect emotionally, psychologically, physically, and functionally in the second half of life and how to optimize all of it. As we've been talking about, we all have to navigate loss as we go through life. Um, Explain for us how reminiscence therapy or life review of relationships and achievements, can improve our perspective.
1: Absolutely. So life review is a way of putting your own life in perspective, where you review what you've accomplished during your life. Some people use the term review and reminiscence kind of interchangeably, but oftentimes reminiscence therapy is to describe the memory alone, which is good. But in a life review, you discuss the meaning of the memory and what meaning it has for you. And there are actually studies that show that people who complete a life review have an improvement in their mood and their sense of well-being and their self-esteem. They realize how much they've accomplished in their lives.
0: That sounds so healthy and and welcome. Do you think we are naturally inclined to do that or is there that negative bias that we carry with us, you know, into one more area into aging?
1: I, I think it's a combination, yeah. quite honestly. I think the big um, push toward writing memoirs is one way of doing this. Mm-hmm. I've seen a number of different um, uh, centers and um, uh, places that people will go in the summer for courses and things like that. have courses that are basically doing life review. And putting it down. Yeah. And what we like to do is to encourage younger people to talk to older people in their lives and find out things about them. And, in fact, I just got back from a family reunion, and we realized how much we didn't know because we hadn't asked the
0: question. Hmm. And so
1: we started, yeah, it was four generations there, and we just started telling people things.
0: I love it. It was really great. Yeah. I love it. And uh, really quickly, uh, it rings true what you said about memoir, because I attended grad school in my 30s, but at the time, uh, and it was a writing program, and at the time, the program was just flush with uh, middle-aged women in particular, um, and their goal was to write a memoir, and it, it really struck me as a way to sort of make sense of your life. You know, we discover as we, you know, just through the act of writing something down. But I want to get into uh, a more physical aspect, and uh, you write that the, you call exercise the anti-aging drug that works. So can you talk about that in the minutes we have left?
1: Sure, sure. So many things are advertised as anti-aging. Yeah, Exercise is the only thing to be shown in rigorous trials to improve sleep, Cognition, muscle mass, bone strength, decreased falls, fractures, and the chance you're becoming frail. And people feel that, oh, it's got to be, you know, no pain, no gain, that sort of thing. And it's not true. You just need to find a routine that works for you. And you have to challenge yourself if it feels like it's too easy. Walking alone can improve many of these concerns. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I had a week vacation. And I was a good girl. I did hikes around, you know, nothing major, 30 minutes, did some kayaking. Mm. The next week I went to work, climbed the front stairs at work, and said, God, this is so much easier <laughs>
0: after one week. okay. Yeah, it's easier than climbing a mountain.
1: Oh, for God's sake, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, if it's recommended that you do something 30 minutes a day, five days a week, but you can do 10 minutes three times a day. It doesn't have to be a full 30 minutes when you start out.
0: Right. It's, they're saying it's cumulative now.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So that's one easy way to start. And that was one of my questions because a lot of people get to their middle years or even later, and they've never really had a practice of any exercise. Mm-hmm. So what's another way they can start? So just walking out your front door um, is one way. What are some other easy ways to make this a part of your life? Well, I think one thing
1: that's happened to a lot of us during the pandemic is that we became real couch potatoes, yeah. okay? And I think it's hard for a lot of people to reverse that, but we have to. You know, you've got to get up, move around. Some people do best if they are uh, have numbers to go by, you know, the number of steps a day or the number of minutes a day or something like that. Um, but I think the easiest thing to do is to find somebody who can be your buddy. And to make an appointment, we're going to take a walk together. Because it's sometimes hard to get yourself out just by yourself.
0: Accountability. Right. Yeah. right. So you can buy that fitness device. Yeah. That's true. And that has health benefits as well. Absolutely. I wonder if you have any quick case studies. I'm putting you on the spot there. But I'm wondering if there's any stories of midlifers that sort of get a wake-up call from their doctors. You know, all of a sudden they realize they're pre-diabetic. Their health is on the decline. And in trying to correct that, they end up in the best shape of their lives.
1: I have to tell you, I just came from this reunion. I have a cousin who, at 39, had a heart attack. Mm. And he was, you know, a bit overweight. He wasn't very active, let's put it that way. And he became this outdoors person. Moved to Minnesota, started riding a bike all over the place. He and his wife took their bikes to Europe. Okay, huh? to bike around Europe. I mean, absolutely changed his life. Love it shouldn't it. have to take that, but unfortunately, for many of us, it does.
0: All right, Doctor Leipzig, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about these things on My Better Half. Um, Dr. Roseanne Leipzig has her book, Honest Aging, An Insider's Guide to the Second Half of Life, just published in January. It counters common myths about aging and offers resources for additional self-help, support, and inspiration, as does her website, rosannemd.com. You can listen to this and other episodes at jeffexchange.org or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I'm Vanessa Finney. Thanks for listening.